There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Unwind Podcast, a podcast for you to relax, drift off and allow your mind to wander. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best-selling author, entrepreneur and researcher on a mission to share information that will help you live happier, healthier and with more love, optimism and wisdom. This podcast features interviews with well-known guests and world-leading experts about what it truly means to be human and what we can do to become the very best versions of ourselves. Welcome to The Unwind with Dr. Robin Stern, the author of The Gaslight Effect and now just released The Gaslight Effect Recovery Guide. Dr. Robin has been educating people about gaslighting for nearly three decades and her work has changed and saved the lives of thousands of people. She is the Associate Director for the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, and it is an honor to have Dr. Robin join us today as we unpack what gaslighting truly means, the signs, how we can manage it, and of course, how can we recover from it. To begin with, I would love for you to share a piece of writing, either your own or someone else's. When I thought about what I want to share, something about the book that is not as frequently talked about, and that is how you gaslight yourself. Mm. Are you gaslighting yourself? Self-sabotage. You question yourself as well as your goals and aspirations. Your self-confidence is undermined because you believe you are undeserving or incapable of attaining your desires. When you gaslight yourself, you focus first on the negatives in your life, but at the same time, you think things could always be worse or that you're making it all up. Self-gaslighting prevents you from pursuing positive change. After all, if you don't believe your situation is that bad, you won't take action to change it. So here are a few signs that you're gaslighting yourself. You minimize your own feelings. You constantly blame yourself. You doubt yourself. You are your own worst critic. You question yourself, including your memory. Wow. It reminds me that gaslighting yourself is probably quite linked to people who are also vulnerable to people-pleasing. Yes. And why is that the case? Well, if you were someone who's very agreeable, you're very pleasant, perhaps you were taught to think about the other side and what other people are thinking about and stand for some period of time in someone else's shoes, you want to accommodate. 
And in fact, when you spend a lot of time as a child accommodating other people's needs, particularly your parents, usually in that case, but family members and older relatives as well can go in that category. And it becomes part of the way you relate when there's a disagreement, part of the way you relate when you're second guessing yourself becomes something that we call clinically pathological accommodation so that you're accommodating, which is actually a wonderful thing when two people can accommodate each other. But when your accommodation means that you're erasing yourself, it's not so wonderful anymore. What struck me when you were reading that passage is how gratitude can actually be quite problematic for someone who gaslights themselves. Because when you have this attitude of gratitude, let's say, you're practicing being thankful. But in Mm. a way, as you said, you then almost avoid looking at the things that are not going so well because you're always focusing on, well, I guess I'm grateful they've got hot food on the table and perhaps actually too much gratitude can lead to self-gaslighting. What are your thoughts? I love that you brought it up for a couple of reasons. One, in some ways there can never be enough gratitude, right? Like I wake up every morning and as I'm making my bed, I have a ritual of just giving gratitude that I'm up making my bed. I have the opportunity to live another day. Everybody's well in my family or if they weren't well, if they're getting well. And so I believe that's one of those things that like love, give it yourself to other people and you can't ever give too much. That said, you can get stuck in a position where that's all you're seeing. And one of the things that I talk about with my patients and through the years with friends and family members and anyone who was in a relationship that's they're struggling, is that often you're looking at this huge picture, but you're ignoring most of the picture and you're just focusing on that little piece. I mean, you're saying in this case, what if you're only focusing on gratitude? Or what if you're focusing on a bigger picture? So there's gratitude, there's food, there's water, I have a place to sleep in. And that's true too. But even if that is all true and you're focusing there, it doesn't mean you're meant to ignore the rest of the picture Mm. that could be really hurting you and can be destroying your soul at the same time. So yes, you can eat, but if you can't think straight, no matter how grateful you are for that food, you're not paying enough attention if you're ignoring the fact that you can't think straight. And I guess this leads me to what truly is the definition of gaslighting? So gaslighting is in a paradynamic. There is someone who is more powerful, someone who is less powerful, even if the less powerful person has given away their power. And it's about the more powerful person manipulating, psychologically manipulating the less powerful person in such a way that they sow seeds of doubt. So they're leading the other person to second guess themselves, sometimes to second guess their character, second guess their motivation, second guess their behavior, or even their sanity. And the gaslight effect is what happens over time when you are suffering, not even struggling anymore, but suffering with the internal psychological damage that you and your gaslighter are doing in consort together that is destroying your sense of confidence, your sense of competence, and your your esteem and your ability to stand up, to know the ground you're standing on. You write that 
you believe that we're living in a gaslighting culture on a macro scale why do you believe this to be true well i think that there are so many things that we live every single day that we know are not the case but we're being told that it's different so for example what is reality what is the reality of what's going on in the world well if you turn on one tv news channel they'll tell you what the reality is if you turn on another tv news channel there's another reality well what's the real reality is there a way to get the real reality like who do you trust when the sources of news for example are the places you went to because you trusted them but now they're saying different things radically different things the the pandemic was a time when what we were feeling and what was going on was like fertile ground for gaslighting to happen in relationships and and all around us so when people experience uncertainty and when life is out of control and unpredictable then what is going to go on what is going on and what can you trust so masking was an issue that people felt very free to gaslight each other about and just to disagree so if you want a mask and i don't want a mask that's fine we disagree but if i don't want a mask and you tell me that this is another example of how selfish i am <laughs> and then you keep telling me that over time i may start to question is she right am i being selfish and i don't want to listen to that and i think in in the world we lived in and we during the pandemic and the world we live in now there has been a lot of that that if you believe that well, i should get vaccinated there was plenty out there to tell you there was something wrong with you for believing that you should get vaccinated mm. or wear a mask or be socially distant or be careful one of the things that i wrote about in my book also is that so i have kids they're in their 30s and um when they were in high school i remember going to many convenings of parents where school teachers and school leaders said it's not important what grades your kids will get what's important is that they love learning well of course i believe that it was important that they love learning but i felt like there was some way in which they weren't telling us the whole truth the manipulation felt a little bit like they were saying your anxious parents if you're worried about the grades but cuz what's really going on is that your kids love learning but it's also really true that the kids needed good grades to get where they wanted to go mm. so there are many ways that i feel that there are messages from different aspects of society that are moments where we can second guess ourselves moments of undermining our confidence right and make you completely second think that whether your emotions or feelings are valid so interesting what are the three stages of gaslighting so the first stage is you say something to me like we meant to get together and i noticed that actually you were there in the theater and you were flirting with some guy in the corner instead of like coming and meeting me at the ticket counter and i say no i i'm sorry i didn't wasn't here on time but i wasn't flirting and then the next time we get together you say the same thing to me and i'm thinking she's just being silly like i'm not going to take her seriously 
So that's stage one, where initially I start out, and I think what you're saying is kind of silly, or maybe maybe even I say she's so sensitive where she's ridiculous. I'm saying to myself. But over time, I start to second-guess myself. And then I say to you, and change the example. So now I'm home, and it's, I'm with my husband, and he's the one who's accusing me of being secretive, let's say. And rather than my saying, I'm not secretive, I just don't tell you, I don't report out my every single thought during the day, but I'm not being secretive. And I don't want to have this conversation. So instead of opting out, I find myself defending myself all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, can't you see that I'm not secretive? Look, I told you about that thing. And I'm going to tell you about my next thing and anything you want to know, I'll tell you. And so I'm defending myself during stage two. And I am ruminating. So I leave that conversation and I'm still having the conversation in my mind. Did I make my point clearly? Did I make him anxious? Is he, you know, does he still think I'm secretive? And in that stage, it's really hard for me to let go of his bad thought about me. So I want to change his mind. I want him to think I'm not doing that thing he accuses me of. I'm not really that person. And it's very powerful to work with somebody or to talk to someone in that stage because you can recognize, even if you're a friend with somebody, how attached they are to getting the other person to change their mind. Mm. One of the things that's so important to know in being able to limit or leave a gaslighting relationship is you may never be able to change another person's mind. You certainly can't change their mind in the moment, but you can change your behavior. So the third stage is when you have been beaten down to the point where, uh, and and I used this term before, uh, people tell me that they're, they feel like their soul is destroyed. They can't remember the last time they experienced joy. It is quite sad. They can't remember when they had fun with their friends. And one of the examples that that I think about all the time is this woman who went to the supermarket to buy dinner for her husband. And he liked a certain kind of Atlantic salmon. And she got to the supermarket where there was no Atlantic salmon left. And there was only farm fresh salmon. She bought the farm fresh salmon, panicking, knowing that her husband was going to yell at her but did it anyway because he really wanted salmon for dinner. And when she got home, what he said to her was, didn't you know they would run out of salmon? If you really loved me, you would have gotten to the supermarket early enough to get that Atlantic salmon. And she at that point was thinking, he's right. If I really loved him, I would have gotten to the supermarket earlier. Why didn't I think to get to the supermarket earlier? So by the time you're in stage three, mm. you are working hard to agree with your gaslighter. And it's very difficult to move out of a gaslighting relationship at that point. It takes courage and it takes action. Like you need to commit to reflection, to mindfulness, to quieting the noise inside you to get in touch with who you really are. That's the thing. What it really reminded me is that 
complete disconnection with self you know that complete disconnection of actually who am I what do I stand for what do I even believe anymore and it's just so sad how many victims of gaslighting are out there and I guess also what's so interesting is how few people actually realize they are being gaslit because it is so subtle I know you've kind of shared some but what are subtle signs that you are being gaslit in a relationship in the workplace in other relationships that people may not be as aware of yeah. Um, so I'd like to just read you some signs straight yeah, from my book. That would be great. So if you are constantly second guessing yourself and you're asking yourself, am I too sensitive or too something a dozen times a day? You often feel confused or crazy at work. You often apologize to your mother, your father, your boss. You frequently wonder if you're good enough. You can't understand why with so many apparently good things in the relationship. And just to add from our conversation, things you're grateful for. Like, why aren't you happier? You buy clothes for yourself, furnishings for your apartment, or make other purchases with your partner in mind, not yourself. You frequently make excuses for your partner or your boss's behavior to your friends and family because you wouldn't want to say what he really said. You find yourself withholding information from friends and family so you don't have to explain it or make excuses. You know something's terribly wrong, but you can never express quite what it is even to yourself. That's the insidious part of it, as you said. You start lying to avoid the put-downs and the reality twists. You have trouble making simple decisions. You think twice before bringing up some innocent topics of conversation. Before your partner comes home, you run through a checklist in your head to anticipate anything you might have done wrong that day. You have the sense that you used to be a very different person, more confident, fun-loving, relaxed. You feel like you can't do anything right. Your kids begin trying to protect you from your partner. You find yourself furious with people you've always gotten along with. And worse, or among the worst, you feel hopeless and joyless. I know that's quite a list and quite a depressing list. Uh, (laughs) It's really awful. And what you said before I read the list, I think is so true that it, when somebody beats you up physically or calls you names, you have the proof. You can say, he did that to me. But when you're suffering from this vague sense of something's wrong and you can't put your finger on it, or I just feel like crap in this relationship, or I'm always second guessing myself. Most of the time, particularly women, point their fingers at themselves and they say, what's wrong with me? Mm. And that's why it's so insidious, because they're looking in the wrong place for the answer. You know, there's something in the dynamic that is that they're pivoting. These gaslighters are pivoting in the middle of a conversation. And suddenly you're, you're defending yourself rather than thinking, but wait a minute, you didn't show up for me. I found that learning about the three types of gaslighters was very interesting. I would love for you to take us through those because, you know, just to share a personal story, I remember I had one relationship. He would always say, oh, no one is going to love you like this. No one else is going to love you as much as I love you. And it used to make me just worry. So why on earth would I leave this relationship if I 
you know, have this person who's, you know, no one else is going to love me this much. You know, it took me years to really understand that that was actually a gaslighting behavior because why was that gaslighting? What a lovely thing to say to someone, but, you know, it has a kind of undercurrent. It does. And often the glamour gaslighter who will buy you beautiful flowers and, and shower you with gifts will almost like a magician say, pay attention here rather than there. So even in, in the case that you were sharing, and thank you for sharing that, you might then be thinking, is he right or he's not right, rather than whatever it is that was wrong. Mm. That's where he wants you to go. If you don't do what I say, agree with me, see things my way, just remember, you can't leave me because no one will love you as much as I do. Often the glamour gaslighter will be absent for a week or two in a dating relationship. And then when you say, like, where were you? I feel uncared about. He'll show up, you know, with tickets to the theater or we're going, why are you complaining? We're going away for the weekend. No one would be complaining in this situation. And then the good guy gaslighter, I was married to a good guy gaslighter, my ex-husband. And uh, he was someone who was so pleasant. If he were here right now, anyone in my home, in your home, would think he's just a lovely guy. But in his kind, pleasant way, he would do things like uh, his favorite thing was to tell me that if he was late and I was unhappy about that, which I was because he was late pretty often, it was my problem because what I thought was uh, were the rules around being on time, which had to do with respect and consideration for me. He thought were my parents' wrong teachings. Your parents were crazy. They taught you that it's important to be on time. But don't worry, honey, we'll we'll have that dinner. Don't worry, honey, we'll we'll get to that engagement we were supposed to get to. In a lovely tone of voice, in a calm tone of voice, he never raised his voice. But he had his beliefs about the way the world worked that included gaslighting people, including me, who didn't have those same beliefs. So with a good guy gaslighter, you may have a a two-hour conversation or an ongoing conversation about, let's say, one couple I'm thinking of uh, visiting in-laws for the weekend. And at the end of the day, your gaslighter says to you, what's your problem? We're going to go. You know I'm going to make you happy. We're going to go. And you're exhausted and you're miserable and you feel like, oh, my God. Like, I can't do this anymore. But you can't complain because he's a good guy and he's giving you what you want after all. And then the intimidator gaslighter, who is just straight out abusive. You're a moron. Everybody knows it. There is nothing that you have to offer that meeting. So I'm taking the car tonight. Like, don't tell me that you want the car also. It's not important for you to go. Wow. But is the intimidator gaslighter, is that more associated with narcissism? Any of the gaslighting can be associated with narcissism. But I think that the intimidator gaslighting is certainly more associated with uh, mental health issues, like impulse control and feeling like it's completely okay to abuse someone, to bully someone, to raise a hand. And as I say, 
in my book and anyone to talking to about this, if you feel in any way that you're in danger, you can worry about the conversations, the best communications later, keep yourself safe, get out. A question we received was, what can you do about it in a work situation whilst remaining professional? It's very tough. So first of all, I would say that it's really important for you to determine whether you can leave. So in in stopping the gaslighting, you always need to be willing to leave if you are going to say, this has to stop or I can't stay. But if it's a work situation and you don't know if you can leave, then you're talking about either stopping it or limiting it, right? They're not the same thing, but they have some overlap. I would say be mindful of how much contact you have to have with the person. When you see somebody in, let's say it's your boss who's gaslighting you or a colleague, when you see someone in a meeting and you are being gaslighted by somebody saying, you don't remember that, I never promised that, we didn't agree on that deadline, I asked you to do that work, and you're thinking, never happened, send a memo at the end of meetings, write everything down and say, just confirming that uh, we agreed to this please let me know that that you've received this email. And tell the person right in the meeting, I like to keep track of what I'm doing, so I'm going to send you a confirming email. And make sure that if you feel in danger in any way, that you don't go to a meeting alone, if you can possibly arrange that. Sometimes you may feel trapped to stay in a work situation where you are being gaslighted. And it's really up to you, ultimately, to try to protect yourself the best you can. Sometimes you might be in a meeting and all you can do is breathe. Mm. Something happens and you can't take it up with the person who gaslighted you. And you may have to go uh, find another time to have a meeting or send a memo. I think that writing things down making sure you're safe, and identifying the behavior, perhaps without, if you have to stay in your job, without using the word, if you want, if you think it's inflammatory. Sometimes you, if you're with an intimidator gaslighter, it can get worse if you say this is called gaslighting. But if you say, it seems that every time I say something uh, about my own accomplishments, we're suddenly talking about something else. Mm. So I'm just going to keep track of our conversations and write as much down as you can. The important thing is for you to keep your integrity and your sanity so you know what actually happened. Because if you're being gaslighted at work, it means that you are then thinking, is he right? If you are working with a gaslighter, you can opt out of those conversations and you can ask someone else, wait a minute, so this just happened with my boss. What do you think? Mm. To check with what I call flight attendants. So these are people who know you really well. And they may say, no, it's not you who's crazy. He's crazy. In the book, and you have exercises to help people with this, you talk about how important it is to understand the difference between the ideal self and the actual self when it comes to gaslighting. I know we slightly touched upon this with one of your other answers, but would love to kind of unpack that a bit more. Like, what are the two selves? 
So when you think about your ideal, someone you aspire to, when you think about what's actually going on with you right now, you might not be in that place. And both in thinking about uh, where you want to be in um, healing and and surviving through and even thriving post uh, gaslighting relationship and at the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, we talk about the gap, the gap between the actual self and your ideal self, which is so important. What is in your way of becoming your ideal self? What is in the way of acting as your best self, your ideal self right now? And the work that you encourage people to do on their own, the work that we encourage people to do on their own, really has to do with addressing that gap. What is the empathy trap? I just love this concept because it's so, because empathy is so important. And we we are taught to be empaths. We're taught particularly as women, but right now in the world of social and emotional learning education, starting as early as possible, which certainly I'm a believer in, we're teaching kids in preschool to feel with our friends, to feel for our friends, to be empathic and compassionate. So empathy is about experiencing things from the perspective of someone else's shoes, but it's also about maintaining your own boundaries. So you know how to come back to your own boundaries. You know how to come back to yourself when you are done being in someone else's shoes. And what happens in the empathy trap is that you get stuck in someone else's shoes and you forget about what it's like in yours. So you go on a date and you come back from the date and person doesn't call you for a few days. Or are you thinking, you know what? I'm not going on a second date with him unless some cataclysmic thing happened because I don't really like it when I go out with somebody and they don't call for a few days. So if he calls, that I've learned about his behavior. I've learned something, right? And I don't like it. You're not thinking that. You're thinking, why isn't he calling me? You know what? I remember we talked about his mother being so controlling. So he probably doesn't like it when he feels like he has to do something. So you're stuck in what you think is his reacting to his mother's controllingness. And you forgot about the fact that, wait a minute, I don't want to date somebody who doesn't call me for three days or a week. So that's one aspect of the empathy trap. Another aspect is that you're giving empathy all the time. You feel like your relationship is kind of flooded with this good feeling of empathy. But then suddenly you wake up to the fact that it's you who's giving the empathy all the time and that you are actually not receiving empathy or compassion. So is it someone who is constantly making excuses for the other person for their behavior? Well, they're having a hard time at work and so that's why they're like this or they're just having a hard time with X and, you know, with their anxiety. And so that's why they're like that. And actually, you know, you're forgetting your own needs and, you know, very like deserved needs in the process. Yeah. So in my writing, I call that the explanation trap, that you're constantly looking to make meaning out of what's happened. And so you're analyzing the person. Mm. You're not necessarily standing in their shoes, feeling like the controlled guy, but you're then saying, well, let me explain away that behavior 
it was it was the day before Thanksgiving. So he probably was, I don't really know anything about him, but he was probably with his family for Thanksgiving mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever else. But what's really important about the empathy trap and the the explanation trap is that both of them keep you from your own feelings. Mm. It's not just that you forget about your own feelings. It's actually very protective because if you don't want to feel your feelings or you think that not feeling your feelings will keep you at a safe distance from someone else, then there's more reason to engage in that kind of behavior. Right. So spot on. For people who are really resonating, and I'm sure there's lots, may certainly resonate with a lot of what you've just shared. There are so many exercises in your book, but for the purposes of this conversation, are there a few exercises that you'd like to share as a way to start perhaps recovering from gaslighting? That's a wonderful question. Thank you. No one has ever asked me that before. So I really appreciate that question. There are a couple. One of them is a visualization that I take people through in the book that allows you to to see yourself in a house with a beautiful picket fence that's very, very high. And you are the only person who can allow people in or out. And you say who comes in and you say who stays out. And you say, if anybody comes in and they don't treat you with kindness and compassion and respect, that they need to leave. Being in full control of who you interact with in this visualization can help build that sense of agency and decision-making. And I often say to people as they're recovering, it's very simple. Did you feel good in that interaction? Do it again. Did you not feel good? Don't do it again. Very simple. Are they kind? Are they compassionate? Feel safe? That's somebody you want to see again. In that same spirit, there's another exercise where I ask people to draw their world, where you can put yourself at the center and um, or off to the side, wherever you want to locate yourself on a page. But I recommend that people do it with crayons or colored markers and and draw people who are closest to you emotionally with an appropriate distance, a reflective distance on the page. So they'd be closer to you in that drawing. And you can either represent them as, um, if you'd like to draw little stick figures or actual drawings or just their name or little circles or other geometric shapes. And when you've drawn maybe 10 people, 15 people in your world, or just a few, if you want to start there, Take a look and think, how do I feel when I'm with each one of those people? I feel good. That's great. How do I feel when I'm with these other people? Maybe concerned or anxious Mm. or worried or or unsafe. Mm. And when you look at your, your social world in that way, thinking about what's best for my well-being as I'm trying to move through this, who are my supporters and who do I want to surround myself with? It can be very eye-opening. It does seem that a lot of personal development work has to happen alongside this work because obviously it takes two to tango. So there is no one victim in many ways in a gaslighting relationship because even though it's tragic and very, very sad, 
the person who is being gaslit, they also have to look around their belief systems of like, why do they believe they're undeserving? And that can obviously lead to really, really fruitful therapeutic work. But can you talk more about that? What is the dance of gaslighting? So I wonder if people who are listening, um, or I suspect that some people who are listening are uh, saying, uh, you know, well, are you blaming the victim? Because this happened to me. And I like what you said, um, because I believe it to be true, that the gaslighter is not successful unless you, the gaslightee, start dancing with him, right? And it doesn't mean that you're aware of what you're doing. Sometimes both of you are unaware of what Mm. you're doing. And certainly the gaslight tea is caught up in, I don't want him to leave me. I want him to think well of me. You know, that's kind of a ridiculous thing, but maybe he's right. Maybe I can abide his way of thinking for the moment or adopt it. Let me think. Uh, Or you want to merge with him. You want to feel joined that you're approaching the world together. So in the looking at the other person and saying, this is the dynamic that we created together, one of the things that I find so empowering about it is if you stepped into it, you can step out of it. And sometimes it's just no. And sometimes it's just, you know what, I've been doing this for a while. I just don't want to do it anymore. It doesn't have to be a drama. And many people who say that they've ended gaslighting relationships say that there was just a moment where they thought, I just can't do this anymore. And often it's after they had a trusted friend say, what happened to you? Or do you realize this has been three years of your life? Or you're not the same strong self you used to be? Or you you have no fun anymore? Like you never smile? Or that's crazy. He's nuts, right? And so sometimes people describe that they wake up like, oh my God. That's true. And even if they don't leave the relationship right away, it's a beginning of noticing the behavior, of opting out of the power struggles, of writing things down. Well, I said, he said, I said, oh, wait a minute. And now he's blaming me. Suddenly, it's not about what I was asking him about. It's about the fact that I'm difficult. So to your point, you're dancing and you can stop at any time. Really helpful. My last question is, how do you wind down? How do I wind down? Music and uh, meta meditation. I Years ago, I met Sharon Salzberg, and she introduced me to her, at the time, her book, Loving Kindness, where I began to do meta meditation. And I find that doing a meditation where you send loving kindness to yourself first, then to someone you love, then to somebody neutral in your life, someone you might be struggling with, even a gaslighter, and then back to yourself is rejuvenating, settling, and uh, lifting, and allows me to approach a day with more compassion. Thank you so much. That is so lovely to hear about that. And I it reminds me to engage in that meditation more because it is such a lovely one. Where is the best place for people to find you? And of course, we'll put links to your book in the show notes. But if people wanted to ask further questions, where should we send them? I love questions. And I hope if people are listening that they'll feel free and and brave to ask me a question. Um, and my email is Robin dot stern at yale.edu 
And you can find me at robinstern.com and you can find my podcast. And I hope you will listen and tell me that you liked it or didn't. And I hope you will listen to this podcast and I hope it's been meaningful for you. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Robin. This has been fascinating, eye-opening and deeply helpful. And I'm sure I say that on behalf of many people as well. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed today, please hit subscribe and leave a comment because this helps the podcast so much. I'd be endlessly grateful if you wouldn't mind doing so. My mental health book, Happy Not Perfect, is available to order now. The book teaches you how to be a flexible thinker, a skill that helps you navigate any challenge that might come your way, helps you manage emotions, and helps you thrive to be the bendiest version of yourself. Until next time, I love hearing from you, so do shoot me a message on Instagram, send me a DM with any of your thoughts. Stay safe and well. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.